0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Well, good morning, Epicos Church. How are we doing today? Good, good. It's just so wonderful to worship with you here at West Dallas. I also want to welcome our church joining us from Sherman Park, Mayfair Road, and of course those of you joining us online. I'm Jacob Michalski, one of your pastors here at Epicos Church, and we're going to be diving back into our Colossians series this morning, the center of all things. But before that, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute as um, as one of your pastors, so I, I usually start out these services by welp- welcoming the campuses that are joining us via Stream, and one of those campuses is the East Side campus, which I was um, campus pastor of. And I used to always say into that stream, "East Side, hi, I love you guys so much." And I still mean those words to each and every one of the, the special people that made the East Side community a special, beautiful place. Um, but I, I'm addressing this and talking to you guys because um, it's, it's one of those things that most of us are aware of. But last Sunday, Eastside had its final service. And that was the last service that we had there. Um, and so it was a very beautiful service. We have a couple of pictures that we're going to show for you on the screen. It was a beautiful service where we, we remembered all the ways that God has used that place, how He used that campus. And he was faithful there. And it's really the things that happened at the Eastside campus um, started and planted the seeds for what Epicos Church is here today. It was great to see so many people that were affected in their life and on their faith journey come through the doors of Eastside last Sunday and just seeing the meaningful impact it had on people's lives. But there's a reality that this is the first Sunday in almost over a decade that we will not be having a service at our east side campus, not that location. There's a community of phenomenal people that are now displaced. And starting today, they're looking for a new church home. They're looking for a new community. In the coming weeks, they may be visiting here at West Dallas or your campus if you're viewing this via the stream. And as one of your pastors, I was just wondering if I can ask you something. Can I encourage you to be on the lookout for our East Side brothers and sisters, to invite them into friendships, invite them into community, invite them into your small group, help them find a way to get plugged into your campus, plugged into the ministries and the, the volunteer opportunities that you even serve in. The people at the East Side are very special people. They're very great people. They're, they're, they're people that love ministry, that care for others well, and they will bless your campus as a result of being a part of it and being in your community. And I just pray that they would find a home at one of our Epicos locations. As I've been looking at our text for today in Colossians, I can't help but feel like the opening prayer of Paul in this letter is very fitting for us here today in this moment. In this encouraging prayer, Paul says these words in Colossians 1-3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This prayer is a prayer, church, that I've been praying for each and every one of you this week. And I've been asking for two things. Just like this prayer says, I've heard of your faith, I love your faith, and I'm praying that your faith continues to grow and your love continues to grow in the gospel and that the gospel bears fruit in your life. And secondly praying that this faith, this fruit that's being born of the gospel, will outflow in showing love for our East Side brothers and sisters so that they feel welcomed and they find a home here at Epicose Church. I want to encourage you, please grab a Bible. We're going to be continuing on in Colossians with this series. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 today. And so I just read that opening prayer for us in Colossians here. It is a prayer of of rich encouragement, of continued faith, of love growing deeper and bearing fruit. But Paul also has a closing prayer in this letter. He thought prayer was so important, he wanted it to be the opening and the closing of his letter to the church in Colossae. And so fast forward to the end of Colossians, we have another prayer. Colossians chapter four, verse two, Paul says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So last week, Tommy pastored us through this verse and pastored us in the practice of prayer and how it it can be broadening our perspective of how to make prayer an influential portion and part of our life and how we can take steps to make it an active part of our life. And Tommy's definition of prayer was this, which I love. Prayer is intentionally connecting and communicating with the real God. Where the opening section of this letter was a prayer of encouragement, Paul in this closing section focuses outside the walls of the church for a little bit. And so as you connect with God, Paul commissions those in Colossae to keep him in their prayers. And there's a lot that we can actually learn As we take on this commissioning as well to pray for others, just as the church was called to pray for Paul. And so as Tommy taught us last week, prayer is important in learning who the real God is through Jesus. And as we're going to see this week, our prayers can be used in a missional way to make the real Jesus known. Our prayers can be used in a missional way to make the real Jesus known. So Paul is going to go on and he's going to show us how our lives can be missional in nature and that mission is fueled through a foundation of prayer. Look at Colossians 4.3. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And so here we see in the very opening section, the very first point I want us to look at, you can write this down if you're a note taker, is that Paul has an external focus of prayer. And what that external focus is, is that he's praying for opportunities in verses two through three. It opens by saying, pray for us. Who is the us? Right, that Paul is talking about, that he's referring to. In Paul's final greeting later on in this, in this chapter, verses seven and on, he mentions numerous people. Tukicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justus, Epaphras, who is the pastor of this church in Colossae. And we see that there's so many people behind the scenes that are making the gospel message known, and that even this letter of Colossae is the work of, of, of a bunch of people working behind the scenes in this way. And we're going to talk more about this next week. But Paul then, specifically in verse 3, prays for what? An open door, right? Paul is asking for an open door. Opportunities. Did you notice who is ultimately opening the doors according to Paul? What's he say? He says that God may open a door. That they they must come from God. He's praying that God would provide him opportunities to share what? The word to declare the mystery of the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. And so Paul wants to talk to other people about Jesus and who he is. And to Paul, how important are these opportunities, right? How important are these opportunities of sharing the good news about Jesus and sharing the gospel? Look what, look what he says at the end of verse 3. It's because of the gospel, it's on account of which I am imprisoned. That's a major, major point, isn't it? You could almost say that's a flex by Paul, but he's not using it as a flex, right? He's not. He's using it to show that it's because of the gospel that he is in prison. I love how the NIV translates it. They say, for on account of the reason I am in chains. Think about Paul's circumstances for a second. His proclamation of the gospel is the whole reason why he's in prison, Any normal person would would go through Paul's experiences and say, you know what, maybe I should rethink what I'm doing. If the things I'm doing are causing me to go into prison, maybe I should rethink that. But does that slow Paul down? Absolutely not, right? He sees prison as a minor setback. And it almost spurs him on to keep sharing the good news of Jesus. Though Paul is limited by his circumstances, he knows that God is limitless in what he can do. And that's why he asked for opportunities. Though Paul is bound in chains, he knows that the good news of Jesus cannot be shackled. Though Paul is contained to a prison cell, he knows the message of Jesus cannot be constrained how do you think Paul was as a prisoner? <laughs> have you ever thought of this? You ever thought he must have been so annoying to the Roman government as a prisoner? Just think about it for a moment. The, the, the Roman authorities come to him and say, Paul, can you please stop talking about Jesus? And Paul says, no. <laughs> Fine, all right, we'll just put you in prison. Paul's like, great. I'll just convert all the guards you send me. To live is Christ. Fine, we're going to torture you. I consider the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Romans 8, 18. Fine, we're going to kill you. Good. To die is gain. Philippians 121. Paul was immune to anything this world could throw at him because through his faith, he had a perspective that could not be affected by what was around him. Even though it would be more difficult for Paul to share his faith in Jesus, he doesn't give up. It brings Paul to his knees, asking the Father to provide opportunities by opening these doors to share his faith. And these were Paul's circumstances. So I ask you a question. What circumstances are you in that can be opportunities to share the gospel? What circumstances are you in that can be used as opportunities to share the gospel. How do you use your circumstances as an opportunity? Paul had the best excuse in the book to not share the gospel, being contained in prison. But he did not let that stop him. No, it made him trust God even more. And he asked for more opportunities. Can I encourage you? Through prayer and getting to know the present, getting yourself into the presence of God, getting to know him more, you can have this same kind of faith like Paul did. Through the power of the Spirit and God, we can have faith like Paul has. Your circumstances don't affect the spread of the gospel, church. It's your faith. To illustrate this, just something you should know about me. I love watching sports. I can watch Any sport, football, basketball, I mean, there was even a time when when my son Rory was born that I was watching curling, you know, on the TV and trying to figure out how, how in the world this sport works and the rules for it. I love watching sports. I can watch them all day. But can I play them? Nope. (laughs) Absolutely not And that's why I watch sports So I can live vicariously through other people Though I'm a tall, big person Which I can thank my father for Good genes in that way I tell you what As I was growing up And the height train was moving into the station It left the coordination train baggage You know, behind on the platform And that's just, just what happened I had no coordination growing up But did that stop me from trying to play sports? No. I tried and I gave it my effort to play as many sports as I could. But all the sports I tried to play were just terrible. And the worst sport that I was at playing was baseball. That's all about hand-eye coordination. And I tried little league growing up and playing in junior high. And I mean, here's, what, here's my, my philosophy with baseball. I'd go up to bat, right? Batting was the worst. I'd go up to bat too scared to even think about swinging, right? That's just what I was, going up to bat, too scared to think about even swinging, just hoping I don't get hit by a pitch or hit by a ball. And the two sweetest words in the English language are, Ball four, ball four, Jacob, take your base, and the crowd would roar and cheer, good eye, Jacob, good eye, and they weren't Australian, I tell you what, but I had some really good eyes, I did not swing at a single pitch, and I got walked and took my base. Now, when you have this philosophy for batting, you're going to be terrible, right? You're just going to be horrible. And my dad, bless his soul, he was a great and very important, influential man in my life. He, uh, he would coach. You know, he wanted to be a parent that was involved and helpful, and he'd be one of the assistant coaches on the team. And he himself was a star athlete. So I'm sure me, he wanted to see me, you know, fill those shoes a little bit, you know? And he said one of the most life-giving things to me on the way home from a game I did particularly terrible at. <laughs> He told me, Jacob, I can tell you're not having fun out there. (laughs) If you wanna play, I'll be here with you. But if you don't like baseball, you don't have to play. That's all I need, (laughs) that's all I needed. I left baseball and all other sports behind and I decided I am done with them. Well, fast forward a couple years later into college. I was home one summer and a couple of my buddies asked me to be a part of a, a softball league that was going on in the neighborhood. And you know what? I decided to just try it and see what it was. Try to open up the, dust off the old cleats again and see what happens. And you know what? I was actually really good at softball. I was actually really good. I had one of the best batting averages on the team. And I'd like to think it wasn't because everyone else was inebriated halfway through the game. But it was because... Batting in softball is a lot easier. You don't see someone going to the dugout being like, man, that guy throws a wicked 20-foot arc, you know? I mean, the ball is lofted at you, and all you have to do is it's just waiting for you to take a swing at it. And I didn't hit anything like out of the park, right? But I got on base. I hit it out of the infield. It felt pretty, pretty good. I want to encourage you, church. Lots of times when preaching about evangelism, there's a lot of shaming that goes on, a lot of guilt tripping that goes on. And I don't think that's very helpful. Just let God lob you the ball. I think that's what this text is telling us today. Look for those opportunities. God is inviting you to get involved with what he is already up to in this world. He is moving. He is orchestrating. And I just dare you, pray for opportunity. Pray for opportunities and see what God throws at you. Paul saw his life as an opportunity to share the gospel. And you can too. Just trust God to throw you the ball and be ready. So back to our text in Colossians. Here we see Paul actually taking a shift in focus with his prayer. Paul was praying for external circumstances to provide opportunities. But now he asks for prayer personally. And the shift here is focused on an internal focus or the witness. Verses 4 through 6. Not only do we see him look for opportunities for the gospel, but we see as a witness he needs to be ready to share the gospel, both in what he says and what he does. Our walk and our talk need to be in alignment with what we believe. Look at what Paul says next in verse 4. He says, pray that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. What does Paul ask for? Verse 4. To make it clear. He wants, verse 3, the word, the mystery of the Messiah to be clear. And so the very first thing I want us to pray for with our witness is to clearly speak. Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of our New Testament books, he is asking to have clarity in being able to teach and articulate the gospel. This guy who knew the gospel inside and out and actually gives us much of our theology of the gospel is asking for help in being able to speak it clearly, that he may make it known. So with these opportunities that Paul is praying for, he's asking that God prepares him for them to take place. He doesn't want to miss a real good lofting pitch that's coming down the middle of the plate. He wants to get contact. He wants to get on base. This doesn't mean that Paul is going to be passive and just expect God to come through. I don't think that's at all what he's saying. It's not like not studying before an exam and expecting to get an A, right? That's not what Paul is doing here. I believe that being ready is gonna take some time. It's gonna take some effort on our part but it's ultimately up to God and the Holy Spirit to open eyes of the blind, to someone and allowing them to embrace the truth of the. <clears throat> sorry, allowing them to embrace the truth of the gospel. I want to share with you a story about one of our missionaries, the Hodgdens in Papua New Guinea. I think that's how you pronounce it. I never know. Is it Papua New Guinea? Is it Papua New Guinea? PNG. I've been praying a similar prayer for Luke and Eleni Hodgden, our missionaries we support over there in Papua New Guinea. There should be a slide of a family picture. Aren't they adorable family? They're so cute. So Luke and Eleni, we've been supporting them for a number of years. They're in Konamala, PNG, um, and they have their two sons, James and Noah. And I get to actually FaceTime with Luke every month. Though he's in PNG, he gets satellite internet. You know. Who figures? Every month I get to FaceTime with them, talk to them, just get an update of how things are going there and how I can be praying for them. And last spring, Luke and his coworker Seth, they started teaching a group in Konamala the whole entire biblical storyline of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And they actually completed that series of teachings, this whole journey, this past fall. And so I got this recent update from him in their prayer letter And it says, we are currently studying through the book of Romans together with the Konamala Church, and we're so thankful for how God continues to reveal his truth to our friends. They are continuing to grow in their understanding of their new identity in Christ, and in the practical skills of reading and understanding the Bible for themselves. We couldn't be more proud as we persevere in meeting together and applying ourselves to the humble submission of God's word. I've gotten to know Luke over, over these past couple years, and I can attest that he and his family are putting forth a lot of time, energy, and effort over there in Papua New Guinea in the work they're doing there. But even with that effort to learn the, 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 to, to learn the language, to teach in that context, this Hodgson family is always relying on God himself to open the eyes, as it was revealed in that letter, in that little short script uh, transcript I read for you allowing them to understand and articulate the gospel. And it's our prayer that this group of people who's studying the word will form a church in Konamala. Now you might be saying, okay, Luke is a missionary, right? He's a a professional Christian, quote unquote. What about you and me? What about just the the normal person, the normal everyday Christian? I'd like to share with you a story about two friends that attend our, our east side campus. A few years back, Joe, he wasn't really interested in following Jesus at all, but he had an strange experience one time on a trip out west. On a mountaintop, he felt a weird sense of an otherworldly presence, like God's presence is what he articulated it as, although he really didn't know what that meant. So he came back home to Milwaukee, and he got to know this girl named Darcy, who was an associate at Outpost Natural Foods. And he told her about this weird experience that he had. And Darcy was a longtime attender of Epico's church. Darcy knew exactly what that was. That was an opportunity. That was an opportunity by God to invite Joe to church. He, they were very regular attenders at our 530 service at the Eastside campus. And they're two of the very first people that I met when I started pastoring there. Darcy grabbed one of our study guides and they together would go to the library every week and dig into God's word. Joe eventually surrendered his life to Jesus. And he was even part of my small group for a few seasons. And you know the real happy ending? As a result, Joe and Darcy began to grow closer together. I had the privilege this past January to officiate their wedding and their story as a couple is a testimony of how God provided opportunities and Darcy was faithful in meeting those opportunities. Darcy was just ready and she was willing to take that step of faith and teach the gospel and articulate it. Lord, Make us ready to share our faith and the goodness of Jesus to the world around us. Paul goes on then to challenge the church again. Still focusing on living missionally, he says in verse five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. And so here I wanna see our next point, wise use of time. How to be internally a good witness is to use our time wisely. Paul is, is calling us to take a critical look at the time that we spend, Walk in wisdom, making the best use of time. I don't know about you, that one got to me pretty hard. We just started watching The Office for like the ninth time, you know, or whatever. We started to try to rewatch that. How am I using my time? How am I maximizing it for the purpose of the gospel? Paul is asking us to take a critical inventory of our life. And so I want to ask you a question. What spheres of your life can be leveraged for the sake of the gospel? What are the spheres of your life that can be leveraged for the gospel? What are the existing spaces or times that you have throughout the day? Talking at work with your coworker, even just the way you answer questions can be a witness. It can be the things that you say or even the things you don't say, like not engaging in in gossip or complaining. Guess what, if you don't do that, your coworkers are gonna look weird at you because everybody does. There's like an overall cynicism in the world around us. When I'm waiting outside at my son's school for drop off and pick up of the kids, Am I scrolling on my phone? Am I listening to a podcast? Or should I maybe take that time and opportunity to build relationships with uh, the parents that are taking, that are also bringing, or picking up their kids there in those moments as well? Do we know our neighbors at a deeper level, not just their names or their dog's names? Maybe, let me get started, get to know their dog's names and their names and their kids' names, right? Do we have, do you have like a barber or a hairdresser? I mean, I, I go to the, a guy right down the street here in West Dallas, um, and also Frank goes there too. So he's getting hit from both sides. Two pastors that he's cutting the hair for. We get one more guy from Epicos there inviting him to church, you know, and talking about Jesus, we might have something there. But even as a pastor, I just want to just encourage you, I feel the tension. I feel sometimes awkward sharing my faith in a way. And I do I don't think that's I think that's that's fine to feel that tension, but there's a call for us to be brave, to be bold with the gospel. So you know, I I have to tell you about Jesus now, right? You know, and just have to try to start those conversations in that way. But it also doesn't have to be the normal mundane, boring stuff you do every day. What about the hobbies? or the things that you enjoy in life. I think of some really good people at our east side campus who live missional lives, like, like Bryant, who when he's working out at the gym is asking people, can I pray over you? Can I pray over you in this moment here? And he builds relationships that way. Or, or John McGuire, who led a morning workout group at Atwater Park in Shorewood, to build relationships and to share the love of Jesus in that place. I think of even a, a trip that we have here at Epicos. At the end of February, there's gonna be a group of people going to Baja, Mexico. And we have a team here at Epicos going on this missions trip at the end of February, and they're going to be going down to this area to build a home and to build a house there. Now, there's a lot of people on that trip who are really gifted at working with their hands. And the whole point is not just to build a house, but building of that house for two days, which is amazing, by the way, <laughs> build a whole house in two days. After that, they hold a fiesta in the village. They invite everybody to come. They share testimony. They share their faith in Jesus and they also partner with local churches to point them and connect them to a church community and share the gospel with them. Paul encourages us to wisely use our time for the sake of the gospel. But what else? Look at verse six. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Next point I want us to see, a great way to sharpen our witness is to have gracious and meaningful interactions with everybody. Gracious and meaningful interactions. Sometimes we can look the part from the outside, then we open our mouths, right? Do you think that your words matter? Well, here's what the scripture says. Jesus said this one in Matthew 15, 18. He said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the Heart And this defiles a person. James, the prominent church leader, says in James 3, 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Whoa. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. How can your speech then be gracious? Frank gave this definition a while back when he was preaching, and I love it so much. He says, grace is just getting the opposite of what you deserve. Grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. So what does it look like for the things we say to be gracious? The opposite of what we perceive that people deserve. I mean, it's Jesus who says on the cross as he's being crucified to those that are killing him, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Each and every one of us is offered eternal life through trust in Jesus when we deserve death instead. Allow that reality of your salvation to come through in how you talk. What are your words and languages communicating day to day? Are people always on edge around you? Are your words actually betraying your witness? Here's a bitter one. What about the things you write on social media? What are they communicating to the world around you? Are they uplifting? Are they communicating graciously the gospel or are they just buying into the rest of the cynicism of this day and age? Paul calls us to have speech that's seasoned with salt. Now salt... All, all, all it really does is it takes the flavors that are already there and amplifies them and exposes them even more, and it actually uplifts them. And here's the thing. I love putting salt on everything, everything I do. What kind of monster has no salt on French fries? That's what I say. You know what I mean? I love salt. I love flavor. If grace is already present within you through salvation, if you've been saved by Jesus, allow your words to be seasoned. So that grace that you already have present within you can be amplified to uplift others as you interact with them in the world around you, to to, to interact with love and compassion and care. I mean, why do we just spend the last month going through Colossians talking about things like reflect Jesus, be that statue that represents Jesus to the world around you through your life? Work on your marriage. Look at your marriage, how you're treating each other as husband and wife and demonstrate Jesus in that. Look at how you're treating your kids and your family dynamics in your household. Demonstrate and exemplify Jesus in that. Look at your workplaces and how you're, you as a boss treat your employees and how your employees are, are interacting with one another and how you even look at your master, your, your boss, right? Allow your gospel rich grace that's present within you to be present in those spheres situations so that we can be like stars shining in the night sky. I hope this goes without saying, but if if you were to go outside right now on a nice, clear, sunny day like today and look up, there's actually stars up there. I mean, you see the one big fireball in the sky, right, the sun, but there's actually stars behind that. Did you know that? The sun is really too bright. And so what it does is it kind of drowns out those stars that are actually hiding behind it. But once the sun goes away, I mean, you might not see them in the city, but if you get out of the city, once the sun goes away, you see all these twinkling lights in the sky, and they're shining bright. If our world was a place full of goodness and light, us living out the gospel and being light in this world would just blend into everything else, right? But is that what our world is? Is our world full of just goodness and light and happy feelings? No. No. The Bible describes the world as full of darkness, hatred, anger, jealousy, greed. But guess what? In that darkness, it doesn't take much to stand out as light, does it? An encouraging word to a coworker, a smile and a thank you to your barista, even asking a friend or the person checking out your groceries, you know what, can I pray for you? Would it be okay if I do that? Most people will say, yeah, <laughs> they're fine if you pray for them. Letting us live as lights and a witness in this world, just a little tiny glimmer of light will jump off the page in the darkness that is present here. As we close today and look back from this passage, I want us to give us a couple moments to pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team up right now. And you should have gotten one of these connect cards in your bulletin today. Bring that out. If you don't have one, there should be one in a seat back in front of you. Um, If you'd like to, you can fill out that information on the front if you'd like. But on the back side, there's a place for you to write down any prayer requests. I want you to really take some time to think about who's one person in your sphere of life that doesn't know Jesus that you'd like to pray for today. And think back on our passage that we had today. And write write down that name. And our prayer team is going to be taking these prayer requests. They'll be praying for that one person. Write more if you want. Write a couple. Write your whole coworker team. I don't know. Write, write down that, that name and we'll be praying for them this week. But I also want to give you time to pray. And so in a couple moments after I pray, I'm going to invite Tommy to come back up, our, the service host at your location, wherever you're, you're watching this stream. And he's going to lead us in, in just taking an hour of silent prayer to just think about our witness. Think about praying for ourselves, pray for each other in the room silently, Um, even also pray for opportunities for you to have with that person that you wrote down to share the gospel with them. And so during that time we're gonna have that, and just to pray for opportunities, pray for our witness, and that's how we're gonna close our service here today, but we can be lights. I just wanna leave you with that encouragement. We can be lights in this dark world. But it starts on our knees in prayer. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for each and one of these brothers and sisters who would, who are witnesses in this world, who are lights in this world, who who exemplify Jesus in the darkness. Lord, I pray that that you would provide opportunities for the gospel this week with, with anyone that you bring their way around you, that we'd become a part of what you're already up to in this world. And I pray for their witness that you'd give them gracious stock, that you'd allow them to see their time and use it wisely, that you'd give them meaningful interactions with others and that they'd be able to speak the gospel clearly. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.